Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke chapter 1, 34-37 And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy of the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West service with me or over in our East service or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us this Christmas season. Speaking of the Christmas season, this has already been an incredible Christmas season here at Christ Community Chapel. I don't know if you've been to the Christmas concert yet, but it is amazing. I mean, every year I go and I say to myself, okay, Zach, you got to make sure you don't have too high expectations. There's no way it will be as good as it was last year. And then every year I leave saying, it was even better than last year. Just an incredible amount of talent on our team, uh, whether it's the worship team, the production team, just an incredible amount of talent. But I also want to recognize the amazing volunteers. In fact, if, if you are here and you have been part of the Christmas concert in any way, in any way at all, as a volunteer, would you stand and just let us appreciate you for a minute? Go ahead. Don't be bashful. Thank you so much. It's an incredible time commitment, and I just want you to know, as volunteers, you have not wasted your time. It's amazing. You guys are doing an amazing job. And there's another show today, so if you haven't been, uh, make sure you check that out. I also have really enjoyed the Advent Interrupted text messages. I don't know if you've been uh, getting these. Uh, sometimes they come when I am at my grouchiest. So my phone goes off, and I'm like, What? And then I have to repent because it's a text about Jesus and I feel bad, you know. Uh, but really appreciative of our communications team and Pastor Mike Howarda who writes those messages and does such a great job fitting so much truth into just a couple sentences and he is such a gift to our church. So just thank you to everyone involved in that as well. What a great Christmas season we are already having. And I hope, I hope that this series, this sermon series is part of that for you. You know, our prayer has been that in the midst of an incredibly busy time of year, a distracting time of year, not in a bad way, a lot of good things happening, a lot of fun things to do, wonderful things uh, to do, but in a season that's busy and distracting, sometimes we can settle for the wonderful things around us that are good, but not quite as good as what God has for us in the Christmas story. 
Now, we would hate for all of us to go through the Christmas season enjoying it, but missing out on what's best, the goodness that God has for us in the person of Jesus. And so I think of this sermon series as a kind of anchor to keep us tethered to what really matters at Christmas, knowing the week is busy and distracting, but we are going to call ourselves back every week to remembering what's really important. And to do that this morning, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open it to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles here in the West Service in the pew in front of you or over in East Service in the back of the room. And I'm actually using one of those Bibles. So we'll be looking at the same Bible, which is great because I can tell you that today's reading is on page 803. So even if you don't know your way around the Bible, if you can just find 803, you'll be there. But by the way, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you may not know this, but Every Bible has a table of contents, so you can just look at the front pages and find your way to any book of the Bible you're looking for, including whatever we're teaching from week to week. And as you're turning there, I just want to kind of frame out for you what we're going to be talking about this morning with an example. I told you last week that I have five kids, and I am a huge gift giver. I love, I love giving gifts. I, I, I love that part of Christmas. Uh, I'm involved in every step of it, from the research phase to the shopping phase to the gift wrapping phase. Although I must admit, on that part, I just sit next to my wife while she does it. But I'm incredibly talkative and supportive. So uh, I'm involved in every step of the process. I love giving gifts. And my kids know every Christmas they're going to get gifts, so they end up supplying me with something like this. This is a Christmas list, and it's from my daughter Sophie, who's very extravagant, so it's a very nice-looking Christmas list. It's full of all the things that Sophie would like for Christmas. You can think about it as a kind of holiday version of a terrorist list of demands. These are all the things that Sophie wants to make Christmas good. No, I'm just kidding. They're just the things that she's saying, hey, if you're going to get me gifts, these are the things that I'd like. And actually, with kids, it's super helpful because kids change so much and so quickly. You never really know when one phase is over and you've moved into another phase. So the Christmas list is their way of saying, hey, this is what I'm into now. It's very helpful. But I have to be honest with you and say that my favorite gifts every year at Christmas are not the ones that come from the list. They're just not as exciting to me. I'm happy to get them, but it's just not as exciting. It's a little bit like when I say to my wife, hey, when you go grocery shopping, I need shaving cream. When she comes home with shaving cream, I'm not excited. Okay? I knew I was getting it. My favorite gifts to give at Christmas are the ones that aren't on the list. It's when I feel like I have an idea that they hadn't even thought of. When I feel like I know them so well that I know something they will enjoy that they don't even know about themselves. Or maybe they thought was too big or too grandiose to ask for and I'm going to give it to them. When you go off list, it's very exciting because it's a way of saying to the other person, I know who you are and I know just what you will like. But listen, I think if we were to give God a Christmas list, if we were to come to the Christmas story and say to God, here's what I'm looking for, a lot of the things that we would put on our list are part of what he gives us in this story. And they're good things. We would put love and forgiveness, compassion, mercy, peace, joy. And he has all those things for us in the Christmas story. But there are a few things he gives us in the story that we might not put on our list. 
things that he's excited to give us that we wouldn't even know to ask for ourselves. And it's one of those things that I want to talk to you about this morning. And to do that, here's an outline I'm going to use to guide our time together. Uh, Number one, I want to talk about what God knows about us. What God knows about us. Then, what God wants to give us. And then, how he wants to give it to us. Okay, what God knows about us, what he wants to give us, and how he wants to give it to us. All right, let's start with number one, what God knows about us. This story that we had just read uh, is about an angel and the message the angel brings to Jesus's virgin mother, Mary. The angel's explaining to Mary what's happening and what's going to happen in the months to come. And there's something really important in what the angel says. And if you have a Bible open, I'd love to draw your attention to it. You can find it in our passage in verse 32. The angel is talking about the baby that Mary is going to carry. And this is what the angel says. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The angel says, good news, the baby you're going to have is not just another baby. There's something special about this baby. This baby is destined to be a king. Now, I wonder if you were to give God a Christmas list When you come to the Christmas story, God, here's what I'm looking to get from you. I wonder if a king would make your list. Probably not. Most of us aren't looking for someone to tell us what to do. But here in the Christmas story, a big part of the good news of Jesus' coming is that he is a king. And I want you to see that that's because... God knows us better than we know ourselves. And God knows that when he made us, he made us to be led. We were made to be led. Here's what I mean by that. When God made our first parents, Adam and Eve, and rested them in the Garden of Eden, he gives them an incredible job. He tells them, hey, everything that I've made, uh, you are going to be in charge of it. You're going to be stewards over it. You're going to have dominion. You're going to subdue it. He says, be fruitful and multiply, shape, create, cultivate. Everything I've made belongs to you. Build and create and do wonderful things on it. It's an incredible job. I mean, God says in the organizational chart of his creation, Adam and Eve are at the very top. But then he does something really important. He takes a tree and he puts it in the middle of the garden and he says, but don't eat from this tree. If you eat from this tree, you will die. But the tree and that sentence represent something really important for Adam and Eve. He's saying to Adam and Eve, you are my favorite thing that I've created. I've given you this huge job. You are so incredibly important and capable, but, but, Remember this, life works best when you let me lead you. Life works best when you trust me. When you remember as big and important and as capable as you are, you were made to be led by me. That's part of what it means to be human. Now in ancient cultures, this took the form of having a king 
That the idea was that because we were made to be led, we needed an earthly king or queen to lead us. And sometimes when things went well, that king or queen was a representative of God's leading over us. You see this in the Bible. In the Old Testament, when Israel is established as a country, they have kings that are good and kings that are bad. Kind of the fundamental idea is that as the king goes, so also go the people. When the king is good, life is good. When the king is bad, life is bad. You can find it in the Old Testament because it'll start at the very beginning. So and so became king and he did what was right in the eyes of God. And that means a season of good things is coming. Or you'll read, so-and-so became king, and he did what was evil in the eyes of God. And that means bad things are coming. We were made to be led. But when we're led by kings and queens, we rise and fall with them. This is the story of human history. Good kings and bad. Good queens and bad. Good leaders and bad. Now I realize as modern people, we might sneer at that. We might say, well, we don't have kings. We don't. We're Americans for crying out loud. We hate kings and queens. But we're not all that different. Even though we don't go looking for kings and queens to lead us, the truth is we are all hardwired to be led. We are often looking for political leaders or thought leaders, influencers, authors to speak into our lives, to guide us into the decisions that we should make. If you don't believe me, just consider the fervor we give to our political conversations. Or go on Amazon and type in the search bar, self-help. Thousands of books will come up. And what are those books except for kings and queens saying to us, if you'll let me lead you, if you'll adopt my system, follow my principles, life will go the way it is supposed to go. I don't know if you're paying attention to this, but a whole generation of young men are being led by social media influencers who are promising them that they have the secrets to real manhood. That if they'll just do what they say, follow what they say, they'll be wealthy and successful and have, well, not healthy relationships, but what they describe as healthy relationships because they recognize that you can make a lot of money because young men want to be led. It's the way we're made. Now, in the absence of external leaders, what ends up happening is we end up being led by ourselves. This is where most of us are. In fact, I don't know if there's a more accurate description of modern culture than to say we are a civilization made up of people who are our own kings and our own queens. We rise and fall with our own leadership. In fact, when I look back over the course of my life and I see the biggest mistakes, the biggest failures, the biggest disappointments, Time and time again, the one responsible for those things is me. That my life has been adversely affected by my own authority. See, God knows we were made to be led. He made us to be led. But he also knows that that space of leadership that we're craving is often filled by the wrong people, whether it's outside or inside. And the results of that are devastating. That is why our world is in the shape 
that it is in. That is why our lives are in the shape that they're in. We were made to be led, but we're being led by the wrong people. I don't know if you are able to think about this in this way right now, but that's why sometimes the best gift God can give you this holiday season is for disruption to take place. For life not to be good. To wake us up into realizing that the kings and queens we're listening to are not the right ones. I, I think about it this way. I had a friend this week who had to buy a new furnace. Which is like the worst thing in the entire world to have to buy. Okay? Because you had heat before it was broken. You spend $8,000 and you just have heat again. I mean, I recognize not having heat is not good, but, but I mean, it's not like anybody walks in your house and goes, whoa, new furnace? You know, it's not a status symbol. It's not impressive. It's not, it's not exciting. It's the worst. Most of us would be entirely happy to, to live a long life and die many years from now with the exact same furnace we have right now. We don't even think about our furnace until... It breaks. I mean, all of a sudden we realize I need a new furnace. Friends, listen to me. Most of us wake up every day listening to the same kings and queens we've always listened to. And we will never wake up and go looking for something better until something breaks. That's why as difficult as it is, sometimes the best thing that God can do is allow us to say something isn't working. My life isn't working. Maybe I'm listening to the wrong people. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that if I or you, if we made a list of things we wanted for Christmas, we wouldn't put a king on it. But he says, you're just not dreaming big enough. I know you. That's exactly what you need. That leads me to my second point, which is to say what God wants to give us. Spoiler alert, it's a king. That's what the angel says. This baby you're going to have, this baby is not just another baby. This baby is born to be a king. It is interesting to me that in, in societies or civilizations or pockets of civilization where Christianity is not popular, where the Bible is not well thought of, where historic Orthodox Christianity is poo-pooed or belittled, or even in those environments, Jesus is well thought of. I have never met somebody who says, hey, you know that Jesus guy? What a jerk. I mean, I feel guilty for just even saying that just now. No one thinks that. And you know why? If you've read the Gospels, if you've read the life of Jesus, and by the way, if you're here and you haven't, boy, there's nothing better for you to do this Christmas season than to just read one of the accounts of his life. And when you do, here's what you're going to find. Here's why everyone likes him. He's just the best. He's incredibly wise, but he doesn't, he's not arrogant. He doesn't use his wisdom to hurt people. He speaks truth to power, but hope to the hurting He's warm, he's affectionate, but he doesn't compromise. I mean, Jesus is everything that we aspire to be. He is everything that we want our leaders to be. Jesus is the perfect guy. That's why we all love him so much. And that's exactly why he should be king. 
Let me put it to you this way. The Greek philosopher Plato wrote a book called The Republic. And The Republic is Plato's version of what the perfect society would look like. It's, it's his kind of architectural blueprint for the way a society would work best. And one of the things he says in that book that has always kind of stuck with me is he says that every civilization has bright and capable people in it. Every one of them. Every one of them has bright, engaging uh, uh, with pe leaders or people with great ideas. And then he says this, in great societies, those people step up to lead. He says a lot of times they, they lose out in doing so. They're, they're not able to gain themselves or for their families the way they might have been able to, but they understand that their gifts and their abilities are really for the greater whole. So in the great societies, the best and brightest step up to lead. But then he says this, in the worst societies, in the lesser societies, they don't. They don't. And because they don't, they create a vacuum of leadership. And into that vacuum step all the wrong leaders. Like, I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at a national election and thought in a country of 350 million people, this is the best we could do? I'll take your laughter as a yes. Right? And Plato would say, actually, the answer to that is no. It's not the best we could do. It's what you're left with when the best say no. That's a great description of the human experience. Because God sees us settling for all the wrong leaders when the right leader is here. And here's the thing. He was born to step up. His desire is to take all that wisdom, all that mercy, all that justice, all that love, all that compassion and leverage it in leadership over us. You see, the, the kingship of Jesus is not a limitation, it's a gift. You were not meant to figure out life on your own. You were not meant to be left with the burden and weight of knowing every decision to make, of knowing the right way to go, of having the answer to every question. You were made to be led, and you were made to be led by Jesus. It's as though God made us with a hole that was a particular shape, and the only leader who fills that shape completely is Jesus Christ himself. We were made to be led and he was sent to lead us. So you see, there's this popular version of Christianity that, that is kind of spreading and it's particularly through my generation where it is, hey, I can call myself a Christian and participate in the religious apparatus of Christianity, but I do not have to accept the kingship of Jesus. That either through ignorance, I just won't know what he said about something and therefore won't be responsible, or just through rebellion, I don't have to grab hold of Jesus as king. But here's the thing, doing that is like a little kid who opens nine out of ten presents on Christmas morning, looks at the tenth one and says, no, nah, I'm good. Who does that? But we do when we don't grab a hold of the gift that is Jesus as king, this wise and loving, compassionate, just, merciful king who says to us, I know you're looking for answers. I know you're looking to be led, and I am here 
to lead you. You see, the leadership of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus is a gift. And it is one that all who are Christians embrace. That's what it means to be a Christian. To see and celebrate and welcome because of what he's done and because of who he is, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And here's the other good thing. The angel says he's going to be king and he's going to be king forever. He's going to be king forever. He said, why is that important? Well, because if you lived in a time period where there was a king, you might have a great king, but all great kings die. And then their idiot son takes over. That was a free history lesson on medieval Europe right there. That's what happens. Good kings die, and then lesser kings replace them. This happens in the Bible, by the way. King David, great king, establishes Israel at an important time, leads through a period of prosperity as a man after God's own heart. He dies. If he's an A, he dies. His son Solomon takes over. Solomon's a solid, you know, B minus. He's, he's, he's a good king, not a great one. Then he dies, and Rehoboam takes over. And you think, I've never heard of Rehoboam. Exactly! Exactly. Two generations away from David, you get some loser named Rehoboam. That's how it works with kings. Even if they're great, they die and someone takes over and ruins everything they did. But the angel says, this king, this king will reign forever. The resurrected Son of God ascended and seated at the right hand of God. His kingdom has no end. This King Jesus will say at the end of the book of Revelation, from the throne of heaven, behold, I am making all things new. Parenthetical, I will not stop until that's done. There's no one who threatens him. There's no one who can get in his way. He will never die. His kingdom will never end. His ideas will never stop. Listen, the cultural influencers of a decade ago, where are they now? Where are they now? The leaders we were so excited about 20 years ago, where are they now? Isn't that the story of the human experience? Our leaders, their ideas, they fizzle out. What we thought was a good idea, fast forward 50 years later, feels horrific to us. They fall in their integrity. They fall in their character. They prove to not be as kind or smart or genuine as we thought. And we grow disenfranchised because we thought this king or we thought this queen would help us. But they fade. But this king's kingdom will never end. All the promises he's, he makes to you will never be undone. All the hope you found in him will never be discouraged. What a gift God has given us in Jesus as king. But I want you to see, for my third point, how God gives us that gift. How does Jesus become king? Well, he's born king in one sense, but how does he become our king? Well, there are two ways anyone becomes king through force or through momentum. Let me explain what I mean. One way to become king is you, you fight the current king. You win through force. You, you face the current king on a battlefield and if your army defeats his, you walk right into the castle and take over. He was the old king, you are the new king. He's deposed, it's a coup d'etat. You are now in charge. And Jesus does rise into his kingship through force. 
But the enemy he aims at is the end result of all of our kingship. Because the Bible says the end result of all the leaders we've ever had, including my own leadership of myself and your leadership of yourself, is that we will die. And at the moment of our death, we'll stand before God's judgment and we will not only die, but we will be judged. And we will face his anger. And our enemy is the result of our own authority. Our enemy is our own doing. We will die and after that judgment. But Jesus comes and faces sin and judgment and death on a battlefield. Not a literal one, but a metaphorical one on the cross. As Jesus, who was perfect and never sinned, becomes our sin. And is happy to come up under the anger and wrath of God who pours out the anger and wrath of his, uh, of his judgment over the sins of the church, which Jesus willingly takes and dies up under, and then three days later raises from the dead and says to us, you see, God has no more anger left for you, no more judgment, no more wrath, no more death. If you grab hold of me, the old king has been defeated. You see, Jesus wants to overthrow you in order to rescue you. That's why he's come. To overthrow me in order to rescue me. To say to me, Zach, don't you see that, that your own authority has only led you to sin and death and judgment? But I've come to face those enemies, to defeat them. And that leads to the second way you become king, is you do so many incredible things that the crowd gathers you up and says, we're not even asking you. We want you to be king. This almost happens to David when he defeats Goliath. The crowd is so excited about him. They're like, Saul who? Right? We want David. This almost happens to Jesus at one point. He's doing so many miracles that the crowds are saying, hey, forget Caesar. Let's take this guy and make him king. Listen, the church is made up of people who because of the great victory of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection is sweeping him up and saying, we want you to be king. No other king will do. No other king, not even me as the king of my own life. It won't do. I want you, Jesus. You are the king we want. You are the king that we need. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to see the authority of Jesus because of what he's done for us, because of who he is, as the final gift left to open. Thank you, God, for the wonderful gift of the leadership of Jesus Christ, of the authority of Jesus Christ. I welcome it into my life because he is everything that I'm not. He is everything that I need. King Jesus, please lead me. Everything you would think to put on your list at Christmas, God has given you in Jesus. Love, joy, peace, compassion, mercy. But some of the best things he wants to give you this Christmas season in Jesus are things you'd never think to ask for. But he knows you better than you know yourself. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the gift of the kingship of Jesus. Boy, history is full of failures in leadership. My life, my history is full of my own failures of self-leadership. Thank you for the gift of a king 
who is wise and merciful and just, who, who has faced my enemies on the battlefield and has defeated them and has won my affection and trust. My prayer is that people here this morning would be discovering Jesus in that way for the first time or yet again saying, I do need to be led and I do see that Jesus is the one who I should let lead me. God, do all these things for your glory, for the glory of King Jesus and for our good. In his name we pray, amen.